Māori Language Week in Wellington started with a rousing parade. Labour Party MP Peni Henare. Just a fantastic kaupapa, you know, and, and uh, like I said, uh, it's fantastic to see so many non-Māori here to support this kaupapa. I mean, I've always been an advocate of saying that we can't just speak te reo Māori in our homes and amongst our own communities. Yeah. We actually have to normalise it in every social context uh, in this country, so that makes sense to me. Um, we're hearing it normalised on television now with Pākehā commentators and media people. So now our challenge is to do it in our communities everywhere. Kia kaha te reo Māori is the theme of this year's Māori Language Week, with mass coverage across media outlets including RNZ. The new app Kupu was launched and businesses like Tiohu Kaimwana implemented online lessons as to how to pronounce the correct names of fish. Hoki or tarakihi, for example. Businesses changed their logos and mastheads, for example, the Whanganui Chronicle newspaper, introduced the letter H into the name, which did spark some debate. Singer-songwriter Rio Hall is passionate about Te Reo Māori. One of her songs from her latest album, Tiahi Kaipo, is featured as a finalist in this year's Maioha Award at the Silver Scrolls. But when it comes to Māori Language Week, Rio says the event is largely about gaining support on a nationwide scale. Um, I suppose it gives us all as New Zealanders an opportunity to try and engage more with our native language. Um, We can take ownership as a nation. Um, Obviously it's not just for the week, but um, this is a good way for us to engage in dialogue with each other. Um, No matter how um, large or small the conversation is in te reo, um, it's just about well giving it a go, kia kaha te reo Māori. And Rhea is also a finalist at this weekend's Waiata Māori Music Awards in Hastings. She's coming up later in tonight's episode. E ngā mana, e ngā reo, koutou kua tahuri mai ki tēnei o ngā kaupapa, nau mai, haramai. E mihi anō tēnei kia koutou e tautoko ana i te reo Māori. This is Tiahika on RNZ. I'm Justine Murray. E kiana te fakatauki, ko te manu e kaiana te miro, nona te ngahere. Ko te manu e kaiana te mātauranga, nona te ao. The bird that feeds on the middle berry has the forest. 
The bird that feeds on the tree of knowledge will gain the world. This proverbial saying is about the importance of education, that there never is an end to learning. Um, ko Vinnie Olsen Rita Toku Ingwa, uh, Ko Ian Toku Ingwa Māori. I was born and raised in Whanganui, uh, in, a, in a suburb called Gomville, and um, my family, some of them still live there, uh, are in different parts of Whanganui. So I grew up with my mum uh, and my sister and my mum's side of the family predominantly. Um, we moved around a little bit uh, from between sort of uh, Whanganui, Martin, um, Fielding, Kimbolton, Palmerston North, Manawatu um, region. Yeah, yeah, and then later to Auckland. Um, Dad was living up there, um, and Dad did a stint in the UK, and so we um, sort of moved around a little bit and spent our time mostly there. Um, my schooling was between um, Whanganui, Martin, and Masterton, so there was a, a fair amount of, yeah, toing and froing uh, across the motu. <laughs> Vinnie Olsen Reader began life as a student at Victoria University in 2008. Today he works as a course coordinator and lecturer. In 2017 he published Kwa Tomo Kia Te Kākahu o Te Reo Māori, he whakamahere i ngā kōwhiri reo a te reo rua Māori, which looked at bilingualism as an approach to learning te reo Māori. It's the first thesis written in Te Reo Māori at Victoria, but it's definitely not the first. Um, around the um, around the motu, there have been a number of PhDs now um, written in Te Reo. So we've got the likes of Poi Ariwi, um, Professor Poi Ariwi at Otago, uh, Dr Gianna Leone, um, Dr Korohere Ngāpō out of Waikato. You know, so there have been others so yeah big mihi to all of them um i think for me the reason that i decided to write it in te reo was um because te heringa waka our marae here at victoria is the first marae i went on to in my life i'd never had the opportunity to visit a marae before and so my real journey starts there at um at the marae and i think for me um from an academic perspective if i wanted to do this phd thing i had to challenge myself um, to be an academic in the language space and the only way I think I could really truly challenge myself um, was to complete the, the thesis an academic thesis in the language that I was writing about I could have written it in English and that doesn't necessarily mean that it wouldn't have had any clout or mana mm-hmm. um, mm. but I do feel that um, there's something to be said for, for the community um, that the community would support what's in the thesis more, um, if it was written in te reo. The thesis itself is about outlining a model for people to understand their own language use. Uh, we all say stuff like, oh, I'm mangere, lazy, um, you know, or I just need to put myself in the more positions where I'm immersed in te reo. Yes, you know, we have all yes. of these different things, or yeah. I'm whakama, yeah. you know, um, I'm embarrassed, and we all have these things going on in our heads. And so the purpose of the thesis was to try and give some context to those statements to figure out stuff like, actually, um, we're not mangere. You know, if we're not speaking um, Māori, it's not māngere, it's not laziness at all. That's not even a thing. Nobody's lazy because they're not speaking Māori. There's a whole host of other factors Mm. um, that are going on in their situation at the time um, that caused them to choose a language. And that's something that happens with every bilingual, every multilingual um, in the world. 
um, and there are literally billions of uh, us. Most of the world knows more than two languages, so um, and they are confronted with language choices every day. Um, yeah. They and they they exist their languages in spaces where those languages aren't competing for space. So um, you know, very safe languages. It might be French and German or any number of other languages and the spaces and contexts where you use those languages are really clearly defined and everybody understands it so it's very easy to switch between the two. With a language that's being revitalised that choice um, becomes a bit harder to make because you've got one language that's encroaching on another uh, and, and so they're in competition for space and so creating space for te reo um, becomes just a, a little bit, you have to give it a little bit more thought um, before it comes out and that's Essentially, you know, one reason why um, we use more English in spaces where we we think we should be using Te Reo. Um, so I think the main crux of coming out of it is um, really to give context to our language choices, to try and get us to not feel so bad about our language choices, like we're yeah. terrible Māori. What it is about is it's about identifying those factors and what they are, um, and trying to make little shifts one at a time to change those little things going on. And it's a good celebration for us as a as a um, as a country to acknowledge our um, our reo and the status of our reo. So I think it's a very important kaupapa. Yeah. So how many kids have you brought here? Well, we brought our um, whānau unit, so we've got 26 kids here from Wanyomata uh, Intermediate. Um, yeah, and so they will come to yeah, support the support the day. So those spaces that we have to navigate in our realm and our yep. community, do you come across that as well? Yeah, I do. And I think that there are a number of challenges um, that come with using and revitalising te reo. And um, one of the biggest challenges is that um, we attach identity to it. And we and once you attach identity to a language, um, that comes with a whole host of other issues that you have to consider. I'm not saying that's bad um, that we attach identity to te reo. I think it would be, um, you know, worrying if we didn't. And um, and you know, you could just learn te reo and not bother learning anything about the culture or anything like that. Mm-hmm. That's not what I'm. Um, mm-hmm. Absolutely not what I'm saying. But when it comes to stuff like, um, you know, you should speak Maori before you receive moko, or one of the other famous ones that I um, keeps coming back to me on these kinds of discussions is, no, we shouldn't. We should never have doormats in te reo, because then I'm walking all over my language. But you know, those those are totally understandable ideals. Um, and ideologies uh, from a Māori perspective, but it also holds us back uh, because maybe not everybody um, is ready to learn te reo, but receiving their moko is a really important part of their growth and upbringing as a person, and it's not fair to still to halt that. Likewise, we need to engage in te reo in all facets of our life, um, and that sometimes means having a mat at the front door and so like I understand those things um, but they really are um, attributes that we have to think really carefully about. Um, Professor Rawad Winia Higgins and Professor um, Poyariwi talk about it being like the golem effect. Um, it's like they we have so much uh, admiration for te reo 
um, that it becomes something we're a little bit almost scared of. We're scared to play with it. We're scared to do anything wrong. We're scared to, you know, take it out of um, a context that's maybe, you know, a little bit unsafe, like a doormat. You know, so it becomes this golem thing where we love it and we're trying to hold on to it and not do anything with it, but we're also trying to get rid of it. Um, and you know it's it becomes a really fine line, but uh, I think they ma- they raise a really good point that if we are going to do this revitalization thing, we do need to allow Tereo to exist absolutely everywhere. Um, a really contemporary example is there's a, a, um, a Tereo Maori rapper um, called Ray um, Callum McDougall who's just released his EP in Tereo. People are already criticising his reel because it doesn't sound like American rap, but you know, giving it a go. Um, and he's just come out and said, uh, that's a real, that's not a nice, that's not a good thing to do. Um, and I'm, like, I was really proud of his response. He was just like, look, if I'm wrong and you want to correct me, uh, then get in touch and tell me. Other than that, I don't have time for those kinds of things, to the point that he wrote a rap about it. Rida is based at the Kawa Amawi at Victoria University. In the past few years, he's led a variety of Māori language projects and te reo wānanga, Kura Whakarauwura. Finney teaches an immersion reo class and another translanguaging class, that is the use of English, as a tool to grow proficiency in te reo. He agrees that immersion classes is also effective. I support learning to do everywhere, um, and so that that means that I'm 100% behind immersion our immersion settings, um, but also recognising, and I am behind those immersion settings because we don't have spaces to exist in a monolingual. Māori language space. Like if you want to master French, you go to any number of French-speaking countries um, and you can nail it. Same with Spanish. You can't do that for te reo. There's no Māori-speaking country where you can go and not have any other language encroaching upon your day. Um, and so I totally support immersion settings because we don't get to do that if we don't find those spaces ourselves. So if you have a wānanga kura whakarauwara, people mm-hmm. that will come to these wānanga um, obviously English, Māori, but you, you, it's almost like you're drip-feeding them little nuggets so that when they go away, they can actually refer back to what they've learnt as opposed to being full-on te reo for a weekend yeah. and go back and totally speak English. Is that is that kind of like yeah. how that space works? Yeah, kind of. So the, the kura whakaraura is slightly different from the immersion and um, translanguaging stuff. Um, kura whakaraura are not about learning language. Um, they're about learning how to change your language behaviours. Oh, and okay. so yeah, and so they're not they're not like kurareo. And no. what makes them so exciting is um, they are about teaching people how to plan for changing their language behaviours. Because, you know, um, the real typical adage that some of them that we use in Kurafakaraura is um, like you never really think about planning for Tereo mm-hmm. until you're in the thick of it trying to actually use te reo and you, and it's really hard. And you go, oh, I need to look up. You know, you've got a baby who's over your shoulder, you're burping and you're burping baby, and you go, oh, I'll just flick through my dictionary, you know, <laughs> where you're trying to change your nappy going, oh, man, what's the Māori word for change? How do I talk about changing your nappies and today? You know, and, and that's quite late to be doing that kind of stuff, um, and it's really hard. And so the idea behind Kura Whakarauora is to put people in the, who are like-minded like that, put them all in the same room and over the weekend to coach them through how you plan for that stuff early, how you change the language of a particular space or time, 
um, or context, how you change that language into using more te reo until eventually it becomes an immersion uh, domain. Well, yeah. Buy, because one thing that comes to my mind is with, you know, one copa that I went on was um, about five days long and one of the rules, or well, one of the, um, in terms of going on this particular hiringa or journey was, you know, me māori te te reo. So you immediately, you're leaving out a lot of people who are, number one, maybe scared because they're about to go on this particular wānanga where they won't understand. Oh. So it's kind of, it felt like a little bit of alienation because with my own family, they're like, well, I can't go. I can't go now. And I go, I'll be there to help you like translate where needed. No, 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 I can't go. So there's that kind of mahi that I've seen. Um, would that be about planning and say, hey, look, we're going to have 100 people here, um, 60 don't know te reo, 40 do have a proficient, proficient use. Is that about planning as well? Yeah. Yeah, it's totally about planning, and um, because what you do, what you do want to do is you want to recognise that everybody has a space, and usually what we tend to do, and when we plan our hui, is um, we define the space first. So we say this is an, first and foremost an immersion hui, uh, or first and foremost this is a hui for beginners, and once you do either of those things, you cut out a group. And um, that's generally the way that we've we've done it. Now, that's not necessarily a bad thing, like because we do need to have spaces, like we were talking about before, where people can exist in te reo. And we can't take that away from people. But at the same time, we also have to think about um, how much of our real time is dedicated to our immersion speakers and, um, and what are we also doing to ensure that we're bringing people along for the ride? Because there's only so many times you can run an immersion wānanga um, with the same people before you haven't actually brought anyone along with you. You know, so it becomes the same 40 or, <laughs> you know, same 40 or 50 people who can call it or Māori because we haven't done anything to bring along people. And um, so one of the things that you, we really do need to plan around is um, making sure that we've covered off the, the proficiency game, which might be that we run two wānanga. Or it might be that we, um, we grow the skills of our proficient speakers in other ways. So we get them and say, actually, who are proficient, um, we are going to teach you how to interpret and translate. We're going to grow your knowledge there, and then we're going to pay for you to go and sit the, the National Certified Register exams so that you can get certified to translate. So we're growing their body of skills in other ways, um, as well as giving them um, the chance to, you know, exist in their immersion setting without locking anybody else out. Um, so mm. there's, there, there's stuff you can do if you plan, you know, if you think widely, if you think strategically, and, and um, uh, it is something that we're probably faced with a lot, where we do tend to uh, lock people out. And... Um, and I'm hesitant to say that that's always a bad thing, but we do need to make sure that whatever we're doing, we're all trying to grow our knowledge and skills. Neira takureo mihi atu ki a koto katoa o tira tato koto e fakaromo mai ana ko Vinny Olson reader toku ingoa ko Ian toku ingoa Maori he uri a hau nga poti ki a tama pahure nga tipu ki nga ngaiterangi taiatu ano ki nga tifakaue oroto mai o te aroa kia ora. 
For more information about tonight's show, head to rnz.co.nz forward slash tiahika. In recent months, Vinnie has carried out interviews on the Sapling website, and he even interviewed one of his students, Te Ama, who translated a book into Te Reo Māori, Tauke. This is Tiahika. I'm Justine Murray. Korea Hall, te tehi o ngā manu ti oriori, rongonui o te motu. Singer-songwriter Ria Hall is a finalist at this weekend's Waiata Māori Music Awards in Hastings. Her song Tiahi Kaipo is also a finalist at the prestigious Silver Scrolls. With a busy career in tow, Ria travels the country and indeed the globe. As Māori Language Week comes to an end this Sunday, she talks about how the language has impacted her life, from kura to kapahaka and music composition. Um, I'll use um, my waiata te ahikaipō for an example. I was actually with that song. I was um, filming Marae DIY in Pātea, uh, 2017, and I was sitting in um, a very unusual kind of accommodation in Pātea um, <laughs> with my co-host and really good friend, Te Ori Paki, um, and we decided to um, jam on a waiata together. We both kind of um, gave ideas um, as to how we could come up with a kaupapa for a song. So he was he kind of acted like my... my well, he did act as my real advisor. So that's how I kind of like to write. I like to be able to bounce ideas off others um, if I need to, if my real needs to be corrected in terms of, you know, whatever. If there are any hapa or mistakes, um, then I, I, I do my best to, you know, let ego go away <laughs> and Fully, be open to yes. to being corrected because obviously I'm, you know, I'm, I'm still learning again, learning myself how to approach te reo Māori. But yeah, yeah, it's a real organic process. It's, I, don't, I never have one process in, in terms of writing, but um, it's always done with a lot of love. With that organic process, are you just coming up with words on the spot, kaupapa themes on the spot? Because Te Ahi Kaipo is quite a heavy yeah. song. Uh, well, Te Ahi Kaipo, um, that was a terminology that Te Ori actually came up with. When I said to him I wanted to write a song that was um, that used the Battle of Te Ranga as, as its reference point, as the metaphor, but I wanted it to resolve in some kind of like um, resilience and, and, and peace after the aftermath of devastation and war. Um, and so the first thing he said to me was Te Ahi Kaipo, and I was like, oh, the fire burning away at the darkness. So still having a, a th- uh, like a light at the end of the tunnel um, where you can um, kind of bathe in, in resilience and, um, and in strength. So even though the kaupapa itself is quite, um, taumaha is quite heavy, it, it resolves in in strength and in peace. So, um, yeah, we kind of toyed around um, with the, uh, the idea of love and war in the song um, and the, 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 the kupu are reflective of that kind of conversation. Yeah. If we push your um, music um, to, to one side for just a brief moment, how yeah. else has it played a role in your, in your life? Um, I'm a first-generation um, kohanga kid. So I think uh, 1984, Five. Yes, it was 1985, Kohanga at 
Maungatapu Marae was opened. Um, so we celebrated 30 years in 2015, which I was at the birthday of that too, which was pretty cool. Um, so I've always been, you know, it's been something that's always been around. I was brought up um, just up the road from the Marae, so I was always, you know, it was all-encompassing. Mm. And, I mean, it plays a huge role in my life. Yeah. I, I don't know who I, I don't think I would be who I am at all without to do Māori. Yeah. And so Te Ori helped you with that waiata. Obviously, yeah. um, there are other waiata that you have written in, um, with your uh, previous EPs. Yeah. Um, who has been that source of information, your go-to te reo person that you um, lean towards? Yeah, um, actually, currently, it's apart from Te Ori, it's um, Te Rania, Ormsby Tiki, um, who is a whanaunga and um, who I really enjoy bouncing ideas off. She actually um, wrote the words for my first track on my album, Rules of Engagement, Te Kawa o Te Riri, so she wrote that waiata. Basing it on someone sitting in a trench waiting for war to come and using the terminology of um, people like Rawiri Puhirake, you know, Kiau Te Manawarere. Um, so using local terminologies, um, which I really, really love. I love to be able to use our own colloquialisms from our own iwi and our own, co- our own events that have happened here. Um, yeah. From another political point of view with businesses and government, what would you say to them in order to further support Te Reo? Make it compulsory in our schools. Well, I, I suppose from the perspective of a, um, of a myself being mainstreamed after you know f- throughout my entire schooling life, um, and then having the option to have Te Reo Māori as a as an elective at school, I think it works to a degree, but I don't think it enables um, our. I, I don't think it enables or encourages appropriate understanding. I think when you understand, or when you have a when you are au fait with with um, the nuances of Te Reo Māori, then you understand the people. You understand the perspectives of our people. You understand why we are the way that we are. Mm-hmm. And I think that if we're able to implement, it doesn't need to be, you know, I'm not asking or saying that it should be um, implemented at like a, a kura kaupapa or whare kura level in our mainstream schools. But what I am saying is that um, we should normalise it. We should yeah. be bold enough to normalise it. If we can have a 37-year-old Prime Minister running our country who's just had a child, which is quite bold, a female pr- Prime Minister, if we can be the first country in the world to have a nuclear, uh, anti-nuclear um, campaign mm. and take that over to the Privy Council and take that over to Stanford University, if we are able to do those things, then why aren't we able to nationalise and normalise our own language in our own country? I mean, it doesn't make any sense to me. Ah, 
Ki ai tine, ki ai tine, ki ai tine. 